Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Ninth Step Murders, Season 2, Episode 7. The evening rainstorm struck fast and disappeared just as quickly. In its wake, Yurakucho Alley's mottled pavement steamed. One vendor gathered a spilled crate of momo, murmuring dismay at the damage to the fruit. As vendors scrambled to right cheap chairs and pull plastic covers off their stands, a generator sputtered, then caught, and suddenly slim strips of digital tape displayed dancing food emoji. Food carts powered up and began once more to sing. The traveling night market threw splashes of garish color onto the Chio the city towers as a sparse crowd emerged from doorways all along the alley. They threaded their way through the noisy stands that sold everything from grilled squid to black market identities. The crowd thickened. Among them, a young girl cut a determined and silent path toward the message post at the end of the alley. The low hood of her bright pink raincoat hid her face from the crowd. This message post was the oldest kind of temporary communication. Its wooden top and bottom decorated with carvings of kaiju, and its trunk done up in a new electrostatic skin. The majority of the pole was layered in scraps of paper. Messages from the living to the dead. And sometimes, it was rumored, back again. The girl pulled a slip of e-paper from her jacket. Well-worn from many exposures, ghosts of former messages could be seen around the edges of the paper. At its center pulsed a red yukue fumeisha, with a photograph of a young man above a name and a date stamp. The girl pressed the e-paper against the post until it stuck. She watched it blink for a moment, there amid many such missing persons posters and then ran off into the night, her rain boots flickering in the light from the vendor's carts. As soon as the girl disappeared, a few of the night market's regulars circled the post. One man, taller than the others and wearing a gray duster over black clothes, tapped the poster twice with his index and middle fingers together. The red missing person's mark dimmed. The date stamp became a countdown. Hours and minutes. 
A woman in a bodysuit that reflected the market's lights so perfectly she seemed to disappear, approached the pillar and made the same gesture. The mark dimmed further. The timer sped up. In the course of a few minutes, two more people tapped the poster, until the mark turned gray. No one spoke. A young man passed the message post as he ate fried corn on a stick. He paused as he saw his own face below a gray missing person label. His eyes widened, taking in the data and the countdown. For a brief moment, he seemed more like a ghost than a man. Then he dropped the half-eaten corn in a puddle and pushed his way through the market crowd, looking for a place to hide. An hour later, the man in the duster returned and pressed two gloved fingers to the missing person poster again. The countdown ceased and the paper slipped from the post. At dawn, the rain came again, washing the last traces of the vendor's stalls and food scraps into the gutters. The water scoured the pavement, beating against the locked doorway of a dry cleaner's, slowly diluting the pool of blood surrounding the young man's lifeless body where it had come to rest. Tokyo's night markets have become decidedly more active lately. Inspector Maeda Kensuke, an organized crime inspector with the Tokyo Metropolitan Police, Ninth Step Station Precinct, murmured in the darkness. Outside, the summer rainstorm tapped a fast message against the decorated police inspector's window. Certain well-known Chinese vendors have created outposts in traditionally Japanese neighborhoods with the help of the Nakajimakai community. There's a lot of grumbling. The markets are loud. They're not considered real Tokyo, even if they do serve a higher purpose now. The transient vendor community and its customers are notoriously difficult to trace. Kensuke lay in bed, offering his local knowledge to Lieutenant Emma Higashi, United States peacekeeper, like a bouquet. She watched his fingers curl slowly around the words, Real Tokyo, as if he'd hoped the phrase would capture Emma's attention for just a moment longer. Emma barely looked at him from the edge of the bed. She'd almost finished lacing up her boots. I know all that. Thanks, though. Her sleeve flickered. I have to go. Just caught a case. Kensuke's voice softened, edging toward a deep storytelling timbre. Emma laced her boots faster. He was trying to keep her by his side for a few more minutes. But did you know that the hardest of all the night market offerings to find is neither a pizza vendor nor a seller of micro-air conditioning units? It's a single message post carved at the bottom and top, but otherwise riddled with overused e-paper. No matter where the night market is, two or three new have-you-seen-this-person posters appear on the post every day. And recently, by morning, the bodies of the people in those photos, at least the ones who are still in Tokyo when the messages are posted, are found somewhere nearby. Dead. Emma paused her arm halfway into her coat. She looked at Kensuke, who still leaned into the pillows. Damn it. How did you know? About my case. Victory. 
Kensuke arched his eyebrows as he held up his own sleeve so that Emma could see the data. I caught the case, too. The victim's in my database as an informer's relative. Well then, Emma said, rolling her eyes. Get up. We have time. It's not like the kid's going to get any deader. You might, bright star of the precinct, have time. I, however, do not have the inclination. I'll meet you at the scene. In the seconds it took for Kensuke to roll out of bed and find his pants, Emma was gone, the door slamming firmly behind her. By the time Kensuke pulled up to Yurakucho Alley, Emma had already familiarized herself with the evidence Sato's team had scraped from the pavement and the dry cleaner's door frame. Two hand-milled bullets, silencer marks, no exit wounds. The scene made her skin crawl. The silencer, the unknown attacker. You were slow, too slow. Raindrops beat the pattern of the words into the sidewalk. Once more, Emma was wrapped in memories of the political banquet in the Diet's North Garden. Of her mentor. No, her friend. No, the body of her friend. Commander Santiago. Peacekeeper. Carried out. Because she, Emma Higashi, had been too slow. Never again. In order to push the memory of Santiago's death as far from her mind as possible, she forced herself to take pleasure in the sight of Kensuke's scrambling to catch up. He looked so uncomfortable when he didn't know what was going on. You'll want this too. Inspector Koreda Miyako, Emma's partner at the Tokyo Police Department, joined them, holding up a pale scrap of something in an evidence bag and shining her flashlight on it. It's wiped. But the e-paper is so old, the pixels don't erase well at all. You can still see his face. Who is he? Emma asked. Kensuke spoke quickly. Who was he? The ghostly imprints of many messages appeared like grit on the illuminated paper. Emma squinted, trying to read between the lines. Nephew of a local tea merchant who used to talk to us, Kensuke said. Likely this was a warning not to get back in the game. Sure, but from whom? Emma didn't take her eyes off the scrap of e-paper to look at Kensuke. She'd seen him before. This was new. Can we get the alley cameras? Were there any drones up? Couple were knocked out by the storm, Miyako said. You know you guys aren't fooling anyone, right? Kensuke went to elbow her but Emma turned a death glare on both of them. Let's do the job. Her voice was smooth as steel. Kensuke froze. I pulled the rest down in my sleeve, Miyako continued. There were three missing persons posters put up in the past two days. The market was only here for three. The one yesterday happened around 8 p.m. She raised her sleeve so they could all watch the video. A small, pink-clad figure cut through the crowd, heading straight for the message pole. Whoever it was pressed the scrap of paper to the microstatic trunk, waited a moment, then left. Her face was never visible beneath her raincoat hood, but her hands were those of a child, right down to the animated nail stickers. What happens next is interesting, 
Four pickups on the note. She sped up the tape so that the man in the duster, the woman in the bodysuit, and the two others, both indeterminate, sped through. The way the camera was angled, only their backs were visible. The woman turned toward the camera, but not before pulling up her bodysuit's hood and mask. When she did so, she practically disappeared to the cameras as her outfit repeated the surrounding noise. Cool trick. But it was the man in the duster who returned to tap the note again. That's got to be a completion code. Transfer of funds. Something. Kensuke whistled. I'll run the winner's body shape through our database. Doesn't look familiar, though. He didn't sound pleased. Bioorganic subdermal banking link. Did you get any prints off that? Emma asked Miyako and Sato, pointing to the scrap. Some, though most were degraded when the scrap decommissioned, Sato said. They watched the paper detach from the message post and sink into a puddle. I'm amazed that it can display any new data. It's so corrupted and full of ghosts. I'm going to take it back to the station and see what else we can pull off it. The data miners will have a field day. You said there were three posts to the message board? Kensuke asked. Where are the other two? It looks like the first post could have been a hit as well. It was still on the post, counting down. Surveillance is already archived, so I'll have to get back to you on who responded, Sato said. Then he turned to Emma. The third post is what you really need to see. They watched the rest of the night's surveillance at high speed until most of the market shuttered for the night. Then a lone figure, face obscured by camera derailing makeup, approached the message post. They pressed a new sheet of e-paper against the static, then left. I don't get it, Emma said. Why? She stopped. When the figure cleared the camera's field of view, the why became evident. Below the red, missing person, a familiar American face smiled out at her. This is new. Where is that post? We need it. Emma slapped her sleeve. Get me the duty officer at HQ, now! She shouted. The post left with the market, long before we got here, Sato said. Scattered to the wind. Damn it, Emma muttered. She rewound the surveillance video, paused it, stared. The market murder would have to go on a back burner. This had much higher priority. On the screen, a black and white image of Charles Yardley's face stared back at her. He'd been telling the truth. That bastard. Someone had put out a hit on Yardley. And, somewhat to her chagrin, it hadn't been Emma. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. I brought you tea. Kensuke placed the weaponized pony mug where Emma could easily reach it while she worked. Emma didn't look up. Stop being so nice. It's creepy. Women are uncomfortable when a man makes them tea. That's a change. Emma pointed to her eye. Weaponized. Don't test it. Kensuke didn't need reminding. The danger was actually turning him on. My little danger pony, he whispered, and then got the hell out of there before Emma could react. Miyako, who was working on the other side of the cubicle, made a quiet, carsick noise as he left. I know, Emma sighed. And you know that it's not serious. For you, for the rest of us, serious suffering, Miyako deadpanned. She came around to Emma's workspace and looked at her partner. You're trying to fix something. I get it. But he's not... Not a what? Emma said. She tried to keep a straight face. Not a tool? Not good for you, Miyako murmured. She looked at Emma's mug. He can't even make proper tea. As her partner took the mug back to the kitchen to rinse it out, Emma paced. HQ hadn't returned her call yet. It had been an hour. She was reluctant to convey what she knew without a secure channel and plenty of CYA. Which meant Yardley did not yet know he was in danger. It would be so easy to let that murdering rat face this future. But Emma was, above everything else, a soldier. And Yardley was, in lieu of everything else, in her chain of command. And as the minutes stretched out, she knew she had to do something soon. Damn it. Somehow, without even trying, her prey had put himself under her protection. Emma had reached out to her superiors weeks ago, trying to tell them, within deniable boundaries, how dirty Charles was. They'd blown her off. Worse, the guy still had a job. But since the attack on the boat, something had spooked him. 
He hadn't shown his face around Tokyo as much, and while Emma knew Charles was behind Kobayashi's murder, no one else seemed to. But maybe now, someone had figured it out, and maybe they'd asked the market for an anonymous and fairly untraceable kill. Emma momentarily kicked herself for not thinking of it first. Her sleeve buzzed. HQ, secure line. Emma switched to sub-vocals and relayed the nature of her concerns. Secure Yardley, protect at all costs. She spat. There was a pause. Negative. Yardley is on mission. Stand by. Emma waited for what seemed like minutes. The next voice she heard was that of Peacekeeper Commander McDowell, the person who had replaced her boss. Despite her training, Emma's gorge rose when he gave the order. Lieutenant Higashi. You are to find and shadow Agent Yardley. Do not engage. Repeat. His safety, and the safety of his mission, is your main priority. Sir. No questions. You cannot leave your post. You must do both jobs. Sir, impossible ask. Nevertheless, these are dangerous times, Lieutenant. Watch your back. HQ out. Emma's rage stuttered. Watch your back. Was he looking out for her? No one was allowed to look out for her. Not anymore. Plus, as far as she knew, her new boss was a Georgetown man, just like Yardley. But she quick-scrolled through the data link in her eye anyway. Nope. Wrong. He'd done Georgetown, sure. He looked like a proud member of the old general's system, and he'd been acting like it. But out of an intense high school engineering program... James McDowell had enlisted before going to college. Army Corps. How had she missed it? She'd missed it because he'd covered it up. His records altered before her eyes. Night school turned to JAG Corps, which he'd done. But as she watched, it shifted back to what she'd scanned months ago. He'd known she'd look, right? He'd wanted her to see that. But was he telling her to warn her? To scare her? or to let her know she had an ally. A highly technical ally, and one who didn't mind speaking truth to power. She'd heard enough stories about the Corps of Engineers to know that for a fact. Emma. Miyako's voice. Emma held up a hand. She couldn't de-link from the secure settings yet. She needed to know. The message had come through on a secure line. No trace. And, as was usual with allies... No real way to be sure, beyond their word, whether they'd be there when she needed them. And that was unfortunately a matter of convenience. Theirs, not hers. So, Yardley. Emma delinked. Found Miyako staring at her. What was that? Emma had forgotten what a secure channel looked like to civilians. It's just a mask. It came out of your eye. That's a matter of convenience. Wasn't everything a matter of convenience these days? Miyako couldn't hide the shutter. We've got a hit on the duster. It's a movie prop. Which studio? A California studio. Your guy is expat. Emma winced. The idea of an assassination market was bad enough. That people had found it and were playing it as outsiders was too much. She couldn't shake off her disgust. 
Who would come here just to do that? Miyako shook her head. She was biting her tongue, Emma could tell. Tea? When her partner nodded, Emma went to the kitchen and found her favorite mugs. They were new and had nothing sarcastic on them at all. They were beautiful blueware from the onsen. A gift. She mixed tea and added hot water, thinking about how many secrets she was keeping from her partner. As she carried the steaming cups back to their desks, Emma resolved to tell Miyako everything she knew. But when she got there, Kensuke was waiting, and two peacekeepers. There's been a new posting, and we've found Charles. Good. She'd put out the net for him the minute she'd seen the posted hit. She'd even suggested people look in the noodle bar. But initial searches hadn't found him. Is he all right? Emma didn't really know what answer she wanted from this. He's fine. He secured himself. We've informed him he's on desk duty for a while. Stationed extra guards. Good. She handed Miyako a mug and sipped from her own. She'd gotten better at making this. A new posting? Then the market? Has been located. You should come with us. Emma hesitated until the peacekeeper looked at Miyako and Kensuke as well. You all should come with us to the night market. But only Emma sees Yardley. Emma grabbed her jacket. Then she froze. Wait, Charles is at the night market? He's trying to help bait the trap? Are you nuts? Wasn't our call, ma'am. The peacekeeper said. Watch your six, her new boss had said. But Emma was at a loss as to how. Miyako stayed late at the station that night. She listened to the murmur of the cleaning crew coming through and tapped at her sleeve, which she'd spread flat on her desk. Emma had gone to help with Yardley. Sato was still trying to pull data from the e-paper scrap, and Miyako didn't want to go back to her apartment. How could Emma protect Yardley after what he'd done? That made her complicit. Worse. Miyako knew all about complicity now. She sipped her police regulation tea. Unbidden in the glare of her screen, she saw the outline of Kaori's profile against the flames from the boat. She remembered how her lover had smiled. She knew about complicity and keeping secrets. Just like Emma did. Except Miyako was on the right side. The good side, wasn't she? Her ears had stopped ringing a long time ago, but when she stopped and thought about what had happened, the explosion, the lights going out, that she, Inspector Koreda, had done that thing. The world sometimes flipped a little sideways, and she felt as if she was sliding off. But Emma, Emma just seemed angry all the time. It would have been so easy for her to not see the poster, to just let the guy get dead. Instead, Emma had played by the peacekeeper books, as if playing by the books had gotten anything done in time to save lives or shift the status quo. What Miyako and Kaori were doing, that would change things. Except, in the aftermath of the ship bombing, Tokyo was being segmented even further, and resistance factions were being hunted. Who was protecting them? No one. 
Worse, Miyako hadn't heard from Kaori in days. That was the other reason why she didn't want to go back to her apartment. There would be no new messages waiting for her, and she couldn't bear it. Her fingernail hit the sleeve's surface loudly. What were they missing about the messages and the assassin market? How did you catch a killer who had no link whatsoever to a case? On the video, they all looked like bees, visiting a dark flower after the rain. Miyako looked up. That's how she'd catch them. By building a honeypot. A second message post. A decoy. To see who came by. And enlist the help of the Nakajima Kai to put the post in place. Miyako made some careful notes. Then sent a message. With specifications. As the cleaning crew finished, Miyako packed up, rinsed out her tea mug and two more that had been left in the sink, and went home. By Kensuke's count, Emma had been on duty for nearly 14 hours. The first eight at police headquarters, the next six trailing Charles Yardley, who had insisted on appearing at a political dinner that evening. You'll put the entire guest list at risk, Emma said sharply, as they left the Peacekeeper Hotel. Yardley straightened his bow tie and adjusted his dinner jacket. I won't. Why not? Because you'll protect us. His voice was so sure, Kensuke growled. The man was tasking Emma, taking her time and energy for himself, for a social call, when she was needed elsewhere. Kensuke hated admitting to himself that he was at least part of the elsewhere. How had he fallen for the American? Really, really fallen. And she didn't seem to care. He watched her setting up an eagle-eye position. Drones deployed around the restaurant where the dinner was being held. Several more peacekeepers stationed close by, but away from the brightly lit windows. Wouldn't do to alarm the diners, representatives from ASEAN's shipping and trade cohorts. Yardley went in and sat to the back of the group. Kensuke didn't know whether that was smart or cowardice. The man was putting as many bodies as he could between him and the window, and none of those people knew what he was doing. A small bright dot appeared by Yardley's ear for just a moment. Only Kensuke saw it. Emma must also have seen it, but she didn't move from her position. He turned to look at her, before the light winked out, and realized that Emma had drawn the bead on Yardley. Kensuke shivered. She'd come to her senses. But what if, one day, she didn't? What are you doing? He sub-vocalized. She took him to mean that night. Still on duty. Don't call me. I'll call you. I'm tracking the assassin. Kensuke said. I'm in your quadrant. Don't shoot me. What are you doing with Yardley? There was a long pause. Then Emma drew a shuddering breath that could be heard over the ninth step subvocal, trying to get in the mindset of the assassin. Kensuke shivered again like someone had walked over his grave. I think I should stick around, in case you need backup. I won't, Emma said. Then she hissed for silence. A shadow crept along the wall near the restaurant, 
wearing a suit in the same pattern and colors as the building. Without hesitation, Emma fired once, and the assassin slumped to her knees, then to the pavement. The woman all but disappeared there, too, as her suit took on the appearance of her surroundings. Her gun lay neatly beside her. Clean that up, Emma murmured to her peacekeepers. Ma'am, they responded. In an eye blink, the soldiers had whisked the body away. There were no further attempts at dinner, and once dessert was cleared, Yardley rose and exited the restaurant. Emma joined him. I told you it would be fine, Yardley said. No one would dare attack me that publicly. His confidence sounded a little forced. Yardley was nervous. Why? You're wrong, Emma said. Kensuke, lingering behind, could envision her voice as a murder weapon. You're putting everyone in danger, and you'll need to stay put until we close this case. No more dinners. Charles Yardley looked about to protest, but a peacekeeper van pulled up, and Emma put him in it. If you're going to lock me up, you had better find out who posted that ad fast. I'm not a patient man. Emma shut the door and patted the van's side with a little more force than necessary. The vehicle pulled off into the night, while the lieutenant waited for Kensuke to catch up with her. You'd make a terrible tale, she said. I wasn't trying to be a tale. Well, you're bad at it anyway. Kensuke's sleeve twitched. An interdepartmental message. Miyako. Has she found something? Emma sounded concerned. No. She had an idea. A great one. In the Nakajimakai's artisan workshop, where various electronic and decorative, new and antique, were very flexible, the artisan had said to Miyako, items were produced for sale both in Japan and abroad. Emma and Miyako watched as a new message post was crafted from the surveillance images. This electrostatic hookup works the same way as the original, but it will let us trace transactions and pick up any embedded data that would normally be wiped unless the page is triggered by an assassin's touch, the artisan said, brushing a hand across the surface. How will you find the night market's new location in time to make the swap? Emma asked. So far... Each night that the market had appeared, they'd been too late to even get a good sighting on the messages attached to the post, or to see whether Charles's notice was still attached. Leave that to me, the Nakajimakai rep said. Why would he help us? Emma subvocalized to Miyako. They don't like that someone's conducting business on their turf outside of their control any more than we do, Miyako stated. This helps them too. When they headed back to the station... Sato met them in the hallway. I've got something for you, he said. Back in his lab, Sato and data miner Sasaki showed Miyako and Emma what they'd found. The ink, on the newer scraps at least, times out after 48 hours. That means that the job expires unless the message is reposted. It keeps the people contracting the job safer too. No one wants a hit out there for too long. I'm betting your assassins know this, and they're waiting now to see if the job gets reposted. Sato nodded at Miyako in a well-meaning, nice-job way. 
Emma beamed at her partner. When they tag in again, on the false message poll, we'll catch them. That night, when Miyako went home, her assistant had a message. Play, she said, while her coat was still on, the bag of groceries warming by her feet. The voice was hard to hear, with lots of background noise. It sounded like Kaori, just not an intelligible Kaori. Miyako thought she could make out a few words. Had the speaker said meeting? Urgent? Damn the recording. She started it over. Her heart beat faster at the clipped greeting. It was Kaori. It had to be. Miyako could recognize Kaori anywhere. From even the smallest of hints, the briefest of words. She played the message again and again, her concern rising each time. Did Kaori sound afraid when she said urgent? If she had said urgent, was there trouble? What if Kaori needed her? But when Miyako texted, Kaori didn't respond. In desperation, she messaged her contact in the resistance. I need to know if she's okay. No reply. At least, no immediate reply. Miyako brushed her teeth and went through her bedtime rituals. She set out and pressed her uniform for the next day, then checked messages again. Nothing. Miyako flipped through the news, but there hadn't been any new attacks by the resistance, or anyone else. Outside, lightning broke and rain descended, a wall of water that stopped as quickly as it began, and Miyako rested her head on her pillow. The room was too hot, too close, too empty. The pillow felt sweaty, and no replies came. The Nakajima Kai community police coordinator for the area near the drone wall contacted Kensuke the next day. The night market is coming our way tomorrow. We will have your message post in place. This is highly irregular, and we will have to inform the Chinese should any technology come near the border. I understand, Kensuke said. We thank you for your collegiality, and I'm sure the peacekeepers will be grateful too. He ignored Emma's glare when he disengaged. He'd finally get her to go out with him, somewhere other than his bedroom. At least, he'd decided that a food stall in the night market was kind of like a date. Emma didn't seem so certain. We'll have people stationed at both ends of the street, as well as several by the border wall. We'd best split up. Miyako joined them. She looked like she hadn't slept at all the night before. Hey, Miyako, we're going to the market tonight. You can get one of those micro-AC units you were talking about, Emma said, trying to be helpful. We wouldn't need them. Miyako must have been too tired to control her temper. If we had decent infrastructure again. Why are peacekeepers here, running around playing cowboy when they could be helping us build up our electricity? Our metros. You asked the other day who comes to another country. Emma's eyes widened. Her jaw clenched. She turned back to the data she was trying to sort through from the e-paper scrap. Kensuke saw where this was going and tugged on Miyako's sleeve. Hey, friend, he said gently. I'm not your friend, Miyako whispered. 
But I'm yours, Emma said, still looking at her data. And you're furious with me, and with everything. Miyako nodded. You're protecting a murderer. The words, once she spat them out, couldn't be called back. Emma blanched. It's complicated. She wanted to show Miyako how hard she'd worked to unroot Charles, how much the plot against him and his heroic action in the face of it was doing to elevate his status. But she couldn't. Not here. Not at the station. Is that what's wrong? No. Miyako's face said it all. That was not what was wrong. The normally self-controlled police inspector was breathing fast and blinking rapidly. Was Miyako trying not to cry? Hey. Emma reached a cautious hand out to her partner as Kensuke backed off, citing a need to make a call. Hey. When Emma's hand pressed Miyako's sleeve, Miyako crumbled into the nearest chair. I am just... She buried her head in her hands. Worried. About everything. Is Kaori okay? Emma whispered. Miyako bit her lip, shook her head. I don't know. For a moment it seemed like Miyako was going to say more, but then she drew a deep breath in and let it out. I must be alright with that. At least for now. Okay, Emma said. Her hand still pressed Miyako's sleeve. It's going to be all right. We'll make it all right. Miyako's eyes met Emma's. Unspoken anger at Charles. At the border separating her and Kaori. At the peacekeepers who were, it seemed, protecting the status quo more than they were the people of Tokyo. Brimming. We always make it all right. It's never enough. It will be. In time. We will keep making it alright until it really is. That's the deal. Miyako took another deep breath. Alright. We'll find her. Alright. I'll get you tea. Emma rose, running into Kensuke, who'd barreled into the inspector's area. You have to get to the border now, he said. To the night market. Did someone post on a message already? It's not even dark out. It's worse than that, Kensuke said, handing Emma her coat. To Emma's annoyance, she couldn't think of something smart to say as she pushed her arms through the sleeves. Emma and Miyako took a station car to the market, and then sent it home on autopilot. Night markets were still a fairly rare thing in Tokyo. Everything was so regulated. The freewheeling atmosphere of a night market seemed edgy, and people gravitated toward edgy. But Emma suspected it was being allowed as a distraction, an amusement park element designed to dazzle the citizenry, to give them something magic, even as the city felt more and more dangerous. In truth, she felt the whimsy of the pop-up market, even from a few blocks away, she could see the sparkle of lights emerging from the street, bouncing off windows. The smell of fried food beckoned before they turned onto the street the night market had taken over. 
It was a tiny spectacle. Emma wondered idly who'd signed off on that. Once they'd turned onto the street, the Nakajima Kai representative pulled them aside. That's what we put up for you. He pointed his chin at the message post near the center of the market. All around it, stalls were being set up, and emoji tape strung from one side of the street to the other. The carvings and microstatic trunk of the thing looked great. The work was top-notch. And everyone in the market ignored it. At the other end of the street stood a second post, with several messages on it already. And near the corner stood a third post, in the dead end behind the last corn-on-a-stick vendor, a fourth post loomed. That one was festooned with e-paper. How many of these are yours? Emma said, dismay cracking her voice. The representative pointed his chin at the central post again. Just that. Shit. Miyako pinched the bridge of her nose. Emma stared at her. It was a good plan. Yeah. It was. They just had a better one. How did whoever built the original pole work so fast? Emma wondered. Microstatic surfaces weren't expensive, but they were hard to come by in Tokyo these days. Everything was. It gets worse, the community police rep said. He stared at the farthest post. There, at least four missing person messages had the same face on them. Charles Yardley's. This is going to be a terrible 48 hours, Emma said. She looked at Miyako. I have to call it in. I know. I understand. Emma found a quiet doorway and entered secure discussions with her peacekeeper command. After ensuring that Yardley would be kept on base, under security, she returned. We'll find who did this. How do you trace a needle in a haystack when the haystack itself is made of needles? Miyako wondered. She sounded so sad, Emma bumped her in the shoulder. The old-fashioned way. We're going to need coffee and some donuts. Miyako looked confused. Then her eyes brightened. Stakeout? Stakeout. They watched all night, from the upstairs window of an apartment right over the street. They saw pickpockets, grifters, terrible renditions of classic rock songs on sleeve harmonica by three young boys, and one food thief. But no one approached the four posts. The next day they continued their watch. Cold tea cooled in paper cups on the window sills. The apartment's owner left several messages, inquiring when they could get back in. Miyako ignored them. Kensuke, when he came to relieve them, brought pizza. Emma and Miyako barely touched it. Emma was growing increasingly restless at the lack of change. I'm going to go talk to Charles, she finally said. Something may have triggered this. Maybe he's ready to say what that was. Good luck, Miyako said absently. Maybe then we can get back to the other case. She checked her sleeve for the fifth time. Emma swept out of the apartment without saying goodbye. As soon as she was gone, Kensuke turned to Miyako. I have a message for you, he said. 
A contact said to tell you that she'll text you soon. Miyako stared at him. She? Kensuke shrugged. They didn't say. Miyako took a bite of cold pizza and gazed out the window. Okay. Was that a resistance message? Or a coyote message? She wanted to ask more, but Kensuke's curiosity was written all over his face, and she didn't want to give him the satisfaction of knowing more about her. But Kensuke pulled a bag of Reese's peanut butter cups out of his backpack. She decided to speak to him later about Emma, what they were doing. It would be rude to do so while she was eating his food. You okay? Kensuke asked. Miyako nodded without answering. But he hovered. She looked at him sideways and waited. There's more to the message, though you don't seem that interested. He was teasing her. That, after everything, only made Miyako angrier. Tell me. The informant gave me this. Kensuke handed her a damp slip of paper. There was nothing written on the paper. No message, no mark. Then Miyako noticed the scrap of paper itself, a label from a small bottle of perfume, the kind she liked best, the kind Kaori had given her once. The first part of Kensuke's message became clearer. Kaori was okay. She'd text soon. A heartbeat. Relief. Miyako closed her eyes and refocused on the case, looked out over the street and the market. She leaned forward, staring out the window. Where'd the post with all the missing persons pages on it go? It was there at the end of the street when I came up. It's gone. Miyako radioed Emma. She's on her way. Emma frowned at Charles. When I get back, you're going to tell me who's behind this, even if it's you. She'd watched as peacekeeper and stateside interest in Charles had spiked again, as evidenced by messages coming his way in the diplomatic pouch. Once the local U.S. officials had been informed he was under protection, at least one congressman on the intel committee had asked for briefings. Someone with protection, especially in Tokyo, was someone with power or at least information. Charles's name had hit the stateside digital Rolodex hard as a guy to know. And didn't he look delighted about it? He was enjoying the notoriety, even if he was confined to a secure room. Since then, there'd been more requests for Charles's expertise on Tokyo matters from high-ranking elected officials back home. Emma had informed them all that it was impossible to reveal his location, even by remote call until the case was closed. For the first time in her career, she wished the case could stay open, indefinitely. It isn't me doing this, Charles said. I know you'd like it to be, but I'd be an idiot to think anyone would go out of their way to risk their own life on my behalf if I did that. You don't know the half of it, Emma thought, but didn't say. She glanced at her sleeve. I have to go. Do you need anything? Yardley grinned. Dry cleaning? Some good scotch. Do you need anything I can get you? A ticket home? In a bag? 
She handed him a box of donuts from the market, and Charles sneered at them. That's the cheap vendor. They outsource. If they aren't from the woman who fries everything on sight, they're not worth the calories. Emma took the box back and left Charles alone. When she saw the young faces of his security officers, she took a minute to talk to them carefully. No one in or out. 36 hours to go. She handed them the box of donuts. They nodded and didn't argue. They could see from her eyes how serious she was. Thirty-six hours to track where the missing message posts might be headed. And ideally, to source who could have put the extra posts up. But most importantly, to track down the assassins who might be looking for jobs in this roving market. Sato, tell me you found something. Emma asked as she and Miyako rolled into Sato's lab. The crime scene investigator slid an evidence refrigerator door shut and pulled off his gloves. He began to remove the splatter guard from his face. I was about to message you. We did find a few things, but they don't make sense. Tell us, Miyako said. Her mood was lighter than before Emma had left the building. One is an organized crime question, so we'll wait for Kensuke to join us. Sato blinked as he released the guard and his eyes adjusted to his unshielded, unmagnified surroundings. Oh, that guy. Miyako deadpanned. Emma groaned quietly. She'd agreed to get night market donuts with Kensuke as a repayment for taking his donuts to the peacekeeper compound. She wasn't interested in facing that music and conversation and emotions. Not interested at all. Tell me this is going to take a long time to sort through and that we should probably order dinner in? Sato raised his eyebrows, waited a beat, until Emma slid him a peanut butter cup, and then said, Oh, certainly. Likely an all-nighter. We only have 36 hours. Then all our clues will go missing again. Sato nodded. Kensuke had better hurry up then. I'll ping him. Funny finding you all here. Kensuke pushed the morgue doors open. What do you have, Sato? Emma's shoulders tightened. It was annoying how Kensuke took charge without even having to think about the consequences. Sato didn't seem to notice. Miyako was paging through something on her sleeve, so Emma shrugged the feeling away and looked where Sato pointed to a magnification screen. Some of this is thanks to Data Minor Sasaki, he said. She noticed several of the missing person pages used secure underlayers of public Wi-Fi channels to pass their payment. The one that targeted the informant's nephew was like that. Emma tensed again. And the others? Most of the others are considered untraceable including the finger-tap exchange you saw the assassins doing. Sato couldn't conceal a smile. But we managed to discover several account numbers in the layers that belonged to businesses that went bankrupt last month. That is, before the pages were posted. All businesses linked to one of the old housing units for disappeared people near the port. Want to know what was especially fascinating about that? Go on, Kensuke said. Sato grinned. He was enjoying drawing this out, highlighting the skill of his subordinates. It reflected well on him. Two of those accounts were owned by shell companies with the same name before the collapse. Your data miners go deep, Kensuke nodded admiringly. They do. Sato frowned. The third set of e-papers is proving impossible to trace, 
but we have what we think is an identity on at least one of your assassins. The big guy, who did the hit on the informant. He's staying at the youth hostel near the pop-up market. He's a Finn. I'm on it, Kensicus said. No one messes with my informants. What about the scrap of e-paper with all the ghosts on it? Miyako said. Did you get anything off that? Not yet. Sato waved a hand sideways, and the screen shifted to a very dirty-looking scrap of paper. When he made a lifting gesture, all the pixels rose from the paper. The date stamps helped here. This paper has been used for at least a dozen different messages in the past six months, several of them missing persons. We're hunting those down now. But there's also a few other things. An encrypted meeting message for one on the Chinese side of the border. Possibly political. We'll take a look at that, Miyako said quickly. She brushed the air, pulling the data to her sleeve. Ready, Emma? I need Emma to look at one more thing. Peacekeeper related, Sato said. I'll join you outside, Miyako. Of course. When the doors had swung shut, Sato turned to Emma. These last missing persons posts, all of them, they're strange. I know you said you were building a honeypot, but the ones that targeted Charles Yardley were a surprise. They were, Emma agreed. She cracked her knuckles. Since they had your digital signature embedded in the paper's purchase tracing log, I wondered how much of a surprise. Probably a coincidence? Emma blinked and then smiled brightly. There's a lot of theft from the compound these days. A bunch of office supplies got swiped, including mine. I guess it happened again with the items I replaced. I figured as much. Odd coincidence. But these things happen. Sato put his splatter mask back on and his fingers brushed the morgue recording button, switching it off. I'm glad, as I have other more pressing issues to pursue. Emma nodded. I am grateful. As I'm sure you know, I'm very focused on protecting him, and everyone around him. That is crystal clear, and unquestionable. It was just a coincidence, as I'll state in my report. Sato turned back to the evidence drawers, waving Emma goodbye. He clicked the morgue recorder on as she left through the doors, heading back up to her desk. On the way, she met Miyako who was smiling at a video chat on her sleeve. Kaori smiled from somewhere on the other side of the border. The two, separate but together, looked so happy. It was suddenly very important to Emma that they stayed happy. Everything, Emma decided, would be all right. She'd make sure of it, no matter who got in the way. You're listening to Ninth Step Murders Season 2. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Ninth Step Murders is written by Malka Older, Fran Wilde, Jacqueline Koyanagi, and Curtis C. Chen. Produced by Rhoda Bayessa and executive produced by Molly Barton. Performed by Emily Wu Zeller. Audio production, direction, sound design, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Cover design by Kendall Thomas with original illustration by Armin Rangati. <laughs>